Welcome to Bird Camp Podcast. This is a show dedicated to the pursuit and promotion of upland birds, specifically the rough grouse. So if you like sitting around a campfire with your favorite bird dog and two brothers from Michigan who love talking about upland hunting, this podcast is for you. So let's put another log on the fire and start the show. This is Bird Camp. Episode number 14, we're going to talk with Bridget Nelson. She is a avid upland hunter in northeast Montana. Followed by our next segment will be a shared YouTube channel segment. We're going to talk about the Gun of the Month Club, where we'll start reviewing the guns that we use in the field or have in our gun safes. Put another log on the fire, let's get it on. Uh, Bird Camp here at the Bird Camp Podcast, and this is Bridget Nielsen has uh, volunteered to join us, and we uh, call the listeners the Covey, Bridget, and welcome to the Covey. Oh, thank you. And uh, we're having a lot of fun with our podcast here, and a lot of people are coming in and out, and uh, well, in, but we, we have a segment that we do almost every podcast, it's called First Best or Last uh, Bird Story. So do uh, you have one you can throw at us? Oh, definitely. Um, it actually is partly about great bird dogs, but uh, my uh, this year's last and best of the season was the day after my uh, 11-year-old Vizsla was put down. And um, <clears throat> rather than sit on the couch and feel sorry for myself about it, um, there were three days left in the season and the weather was unseasonably warm for eastern Montana. And so I pushed myself to get my, my younger dogs out uh, and go to, to Mojo. And that was my dog that I passed to go to Mojo's favorite hunting spot. And um, I knew that there was quite a few sharp tail living in that area, potentially a bonus pheasant. And um, so when I pulled up to the spot, it was a dead calm, sunny December day, which uh, for anybody who knows Eastern Montana, that's pretty unheard of for an after Christmas hunt. And um, it was just, it was probably in the 40, 45 degree range. And I got out of the car and I just kind of could feel like it was going to be a special day. And um, I, I got two of my female visuals out, a mother daughter team, uh, Ripley and Ruby, and, you know, put the vest on, grab the guns and water and all the stuff you need and took off across the landscape and uh it is a quintessential pretty prairie vision that this particular hunting spot is it's a nice crp with uh quite a bit of diversity in plants and um I, i've known that there's you know sharp tail that live in that area and so that's why i went there and um we got going and started walking well i've been hunting pretty hard this season and there was no wind to speak of, but all of a sudden a feather came out of my pack and floated up in front of me as I was walking, as I was watching the girls. And, um, you know, I'd been going for about a half an hour walking and, you know, hadn't seen any birds yet. 
and that feather went across the front of my vision and I, I took note of it, but didn't really think about it as I kept moving. I was like, huh, there's no wind. That's strange, you know? And I kept uh, chasing the girls and they're starting to run bigger and bigger, 250, 350 yards, and we're not finding birds. And, um, and then they're picking it up even more. And all of a sudden my GPS goes off and uh, Ruby's on point at 570 yards from me. Oh my. And I walk up, you know, I find her and I walk up and um, Ripley's got the honor and I got both dogs on point in front of me. And I start to kick around looking for sharp tail. And if anybody knows anything about uh, late season sharp tail hunting, uh, they don't typically sit tight. They they usually get up and fly off before you even get there. Or if they see you from 100 yards away, they'll they'll just fly off. And nothing got up. And, you know, I just kind of was like, well, I guess we don't have anything here. And just as I was turning to say to the dogs, find the birds, two birds got up at my feet and flew. And I, I managed to bring one down. And I got that bird and put it in my bag. So I was kind of pumped up. I'm like, that was cool to find two sharp tail sitting that tight on a you know late season hunt. So off we went and we hunted another 20 or 30 minutes, not finding anything. Dogs again are running huge range and um, the GPS goes off again. And this time it's uh, Ripley on point with Ruby for the honor. And it's on the kind of a, a leeward side of a slope of a hill. And I'm walking up, I can see just the tails of the girls, and I look in front of them and I'm like, there's gotta be birds there. They've been on point for quite a while. I mean, it took me probably five or six minutes to get to the dogs. And, um, and I look in front of the dogs and in the grass, I could see about 20 to 30 sharp-tailed grouse heads. And they're standing there. <laughs> Good, really? In front of my dogs. And I'm like, this is unreal. And I walk up and these birds got up 30 yards, 15 yards from me, some of them. And I, I managed to get a double on that flush. Oh, awesome. that's beautiful, Bridget. <laughs> oh, it was, it was cool. So I, I get these birds in my bag and I give the girls some water. I'm like, wow, that was really cool. So we start to head back up this. It was a, it's, Easily, you could do probably two or three miles walking in any direction on this piece of land and not run into any fences or anything. And so we just kept going back up towards the truck and uh, dogs again, five, six hundred yards, slam on point. And um, Ruby had found another covey of birds five, six hundred yards from where I was. And those birds gave me what I was used to in sharp tail hunting. You know, you start to walk towards the dogs and just as you I uh, think you can see the dogs just clear enough. The birds will get up and fly off and they laugh at you as they fly away. And so they get away and uh, we end up chasing around again for probably another hour and find another bird. And I bring down a fourth bird and um, I'm pretty excited. I'm like, I got my limit in December, which you just usually you can't do that. So, so excited. I get the dogs back in the truck. I'm like, I got to go take a picture of this. And I go up to this hillside with that's got a beautiful view in the background. I put the birds on the tailgate and I put Ruby up right next to it. And as I'm doing this picture, I'm taking 20, 30 shots. I'm trying to get a hold, get Ruby to look at me and she won't look at me and I'm paying attention to her. So I finally get, you know, pictures in the can kind of thing. And I put everything in the truck and I sit down and I look at the pictures I got 
and there was a picture that I captured again, no wind of Ruby sitting in front of these birds with a feather in the air right next to her. Oh, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> no. And yeah. I stopped, I just kind of stopped there and I went, Mojo was with me today. And that, that particular spot, um, he cut his teeth on sharp tailed grouse in that particular spot as a young dog. And I spent a lot of time prowling around the prairies of Montana with that dog. And it was a really kind of a special moment to have had such an awesome hunt over my girls and have him visit me in a very odd and uh, kind of spiritual way to, to have that picture of this feather next to my dog. And again, no wind to bring that feather up in the air. And I don't know where it came from. I don't know why that was in my picture, but oh, it was there. Oh, Bridget, you know it came from Mojo, right? Mo oh, Mojo, Mojo was on your side that day. Oh, yeah. man, was he? Yeah. That's, an awesome that's, story. that's a great story. Those are the kind of stories we like to hear and our listeners tell us all the time they want to hear because a lot of bird hunting is just sharing the stories, right? And that that's a wonderful story. A um, couple things. I, I grew up a sharptail hunter. My brother, we, we're on the far eastern end where we sharptail hunt in Michigan of the range. And they are a fascinating bird and clever. And uh, they're, they're just a lot of fun, aren't they? Oh, they're one of my favorite birds uh, to hunt. Uh, when I moved to Montana, I put on my license plate, got sharp. <laughs> That's good. Uh, I'm in, I'm a little bit obsessed with them. I you know, has I, anybody stopped you yet? Thinking you're the uh, Sharpie pen salesperson? <laughs> <laughs> Got sharp? No, not that I, kind. I when, well, I love when you're standing in a parking lot talking to somebody. Like, is that your truck? Yeah, and they look at your license plate and they're like, "What does that mean?" And then I just kind of smile and I'm, I'm like, "The people that really know me get it." But. <laughs> Now, um, now, before you moved to Montana, you, you were in conservation, is that correct? Yes, I, I uh, spent my career um, studying endangered fish in Nevada and um, doing habitat conservation on private lands in Nevada, Oregon, and then uh, eventually Montana. Um, the job I took in Montana was actually refuge manager for the Charles M. Russell National Wildlife Refuge. How many um, acres is that refuge? 1.1 million acres. What? Ooh. That's crazy. I yeah. thought Michigan had a lot of hunting land. <laughs> wow. I, was uh, wait, I was waiting for 50,000. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, that, that particular refuge is one of the uh, largest ones in the lower 48. And um, it spans, if I recall properly, 138 miles in the Missouri River uh, between the twists and turns. Um, it's pr all protected land along the Missouri River and up into the breaks, basically. And um, it is a uh, gold standard for elk and deer hunting and pronghorn hunting and yeah that, uh, that that area is very close to where lewis and clark uh overwintered on their expedition going out west um right yeah. right up in that corner right yep they um they actually uh pulled the boats up into the breaks and hiked up out of the breaks and saw a little mountain range sitting there and thought they had found the rocky mountains yeah it's and, a um, they, it's a great story isn't it it, it is. It's a special place. It's a special place on the planet. Yeah, sure. I, I I know of it. I've been there, but I have not spent enough time there. Montana is a wonderful place. And well, the combination of that refuge combined with the private lands and um, broad scale conservation across that landscape has managed to protect and preserve 
the largest short grass prairie tracts of land left on the planet. Now, um, now Bridge, if you, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Well, if you want a very pristine and uh, closest to that you can get to wild and native hunt of anything, uh, spending time there is a, a really, it's an awesome experience. If it, Even if you go home empty-handed, it's one of those things that people remember for the rest of their lives. We'll have to put it on our list. It sounds like a wonderful experience. Have you ever... Uh, made your way east to rough grouse hunt actually i haven't i've rough grouse hunted in uh bc and um mm -hmm. you know some of the rockies a little bit and then when i was living in oregon quite a bit in the um, mountains there we've got after rough grouse but mostly blue grouse there mm -hmm. i haven't hunted the true wily rough grouse of the hardwoods yeah, um that, that's where michigan wisconsin that's what we're noted for and uh Rough grouse is a whole different species, obviously, you know, in genus and species, but it's also a different hunt. Um, one thing that I'm sure you endure and you mentioned in talking to us is you do a, you know, a lot of side of the mountains and all that. We seem to be on the flats a lot, just flat logging trails, but it's uh, different because I, you know, I grew up sharp tail hunting. And it's an open field, basically. You know, you'll have some cover here and a line here or a fence row. But rough grouse, it's deep in the forest and a lot of fun. Lot Sometimes of fun. a swamp. The swamp, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we fall, well, in, fall in a river, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a difficult uh, physical exertion. The little bit of rough grouse hunting that mimics a little bit of what you guys have, but I don't think it even compares actually in difficulty, is in Oregon where you can get into those thickets and popples where you're either climbing under or climbing over. Uh, things and you're up and down you may not be doing mountains but you're getting a physical workout yeah uh, and, and geographically that area you mentioned in oregon is has there's a very small area in the valley they call it up there it's very similar to northern michigan in topography and trees so it's not much of an area but it is an area so well that's great um how were the bird counts this year do you think they were up down so Montana in 2018 had an extreme winter. Um, we had sub-zero temperatures from before Christmas. And when I mean sub-zero, we're talking Arctic minus 30, minus 40 temperatures for up until about April 3rd is what that year. And uh, very little relief that year. But And then pair that with some extreme amounts of snow. And it really put a hurt on a lot of the birds uh, in northeast Montana, in regions, not all of northeast Montana, but in regions. And then the winter of 2019 uh, wasn't as, you know, forgiving. It, it wasn't quite as bad, but it wasn't nice. Um, so we had a couple of really down years. But last year, uh, the spring and the summer uh, were perfect conditions for those holdover adult birds to be able to raise their babies and have a high recruitment rate. Nice. And, uh, now, from what I saw, pheasants did well in regions. There were some regions that I did go to that actually the opposite happened where drought got the best of them. Now, do, um, you, do you remember how many eggs are in a normal clutch for a sharptail? You know, sharp grouse and typical, uh, the, the prairie grouse typically will be anywhere between 7 to 15 eggs, depending on That's, the species. That sounds right, yeah. Yeah. I personally, I have yet to witness a clutch of sharptail walking around with their mother. I haven't personally got to see that. I've seen sage grouse, and uh, I've chased those enough for, but you know, for conservation work. But I haven't for sharp tail, and I'm kind of hoping the day I do get to see them because 
it is an interesting thing to see these little ping pong ball sized fluff balls chasing their mother around in the sagebrush. Uh, and I, I really want to see sharp tail, but yeah, if you get the right spring conditions and the studies are all pointing to that for particularly sage grouse, the, you know, the right spring conditions paired with just enough rain through the summer to be able to grow uh, bugs for the babies, get the protein uh, available for growth for uh, baby birds, then you'll have a high survival rate. And if you walk into fall with a nice moderate fall and then a moderate winter, you're going to end up with a nice carryover. So that's right. what we have throughout Montana this year. And in only the last week has it been cold. Um, and I mean, truly cold, like it has uh, in the past, but you know, up, literally up until I don't know, almost February 1st, it was unusually warm in Montana. Like I, we were experiencing 40 degree temps uh, through January and that's un not common. No, that isn't. We, we had the same thing here in Michigan and now it's two feet of snow and cold all the time. Let me ask you this, because I'm sure our covey would really be interested in this, Bridget, is how, how uh, I want to word this the right way, how conducive is the state of Montana to outstate hunters? Is, is it very expensive to come out and sharp tail or bird hunt as a whole? Um, you know, I'd say out-of-state licenses in general are getting expensive. It just depends on what you buy. Um, a lot of people who travel the distance to get to Montana, lots of times they want to be able to hunt all the bird species and maybe a deer while they're there. So they end up buying a little bit more and you'll spend, you know, five, six hundred bucks in out-of-state licenses on that. But if you're just going to get a bird hunting license, it's, it's comparable to other states. It kind of varies from year to year. We have a habitat stamp you have to buy as well. Um, and if you, obviously if you waterfowl hunt, um, you need the federal and state duck stamps right, to go with, right. but, um, yeah, it's, uh, I I'd say it's totally conducive to out-of-state hunters. In fact, I see a lot of encouragement, uh, to get the out-of-state, you know, non-resident hunter to the state for any species to hunt. And, um, it's, you know, as far as deer hunting goes, it's one of those places that a lot of people can go and particularly young or new hunters get into some animals and be able to harvest something without it being overtly difficult. Um, and, the, and I think that's a good thing. You know, Montana is what they like to call an opportunity state. And uh, so there's not a lot of tag draws or anything as a, at this time, unless you're going to, you know, play in the game of bighorn sheep and that kind of stuff. Right. Right. But as far as birds go, yeah, we see a lot of bird hunters come there. Um, sage grouse has been a popular popular species for people to harvest um and so we see a lot of bird hunters coming through during the september time frame which is the september 1st through the end of the month um and then sage grouse closes and then it's you know sharp tail uh opens on the first of september and the huns open on the first of september um and those keep going until december 31st uh oh, every really? year really really yep. see in michigan there's only a small sector it's basically one county for sharp tail um, but it is a 15-day season, and that's it. It's all you get. Yeah, and it opens. We open September 15th too. So. Yeah, and our sharp tail season opens October 15th to 30th, or first of the 15th, yeah, I think, something like that. So uh, it's very fascinating. You got such a long season. Is there that's a lot awesome. of public land hunting opportunities there? Oh my goodness! So the beauty of Montana is that an out-of-stater can come there. And either A, look at a map and find federal or state land to freely access, um, or B, if you have a little bit of knowledge, uh, be able to find the 
uh, private land, you know, public hunting access properties, which okay. is called block management program. And so say that uh, again, Bridget. I didn't quite catch that. Well, what's that program? It's called the block management program. Okay. Yeah, we call that the HAP program in Michigan. Yes, similar, program. similar yep. program. Okay. And they used to have uh, books literally printed every year that you know you could pick up as a hunter uh, at the state offices that showed you maps and all of that. But now they've got everything online. Nice. And so you can plan a hunt through Montana uh, from being online. And you know a lot of people do gravitate to those private lands public access properties, um, but they're not exclusively birds or deer or anything like that. It, I think it's the idea that you can go on somebody's land without having to knock on their door and ask them mm-hmm. uh, that attracts a lot of people. But the one thing I'll say for new hunters to Montana, anybody that asks me is, you know, when you pull into Montana, don't be shy about signing into a block management or jump out on a piece of, of federal land and go for a walk. Uh, the beauty of Montana is there's a lot of wide open spaces and you can you can find a lot of birds if you're willing to put in shoe leather. Um, some places will have a little bit more than others, um, but it really, there's no big science to it. And um, it's the, that's what I love about it. And I when I was a newer hunter to the game, it really taught me a lot about what to look for in habitat and how to hunt certain pieces of property and if you are crazy like I am and love big running dogs, it's a perfect place uh, to have your big running dogs, you know, covering cu- country and not getting themselves into trouble and that kind of stuff. And you favor a particular breed of dogs, I understand? Yeah, I, I am a Vigla fan. I have, uh, currently I own three Vigilas and a German short hair. Uh, I, you know, have bred and trained Vigilas since, oh, the 2001, I think it was. Uh, bought my first dog in Nevada when I was living there and at the time I thought I was buying myself a mountain biking and hunting or a hiking companion. And, and then like many, many people, you go out and you put a bird out in front of your little bird dog and suddenly this whole new world opens up to you. And, um, my bikes went on the shelf (laughs) and I bought dogs, guns, and trucks. (laughs) And boots and boots and lots of boots. (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, what type, what type, what's your uh, favorite gun? What do you hunt with the most? Well, uh, I used to favor the Brown and Gold Fusion, um, mostly because it, it was a gun that I could pull out of a box and it fit me. So I have two of those. Um, I stepped into Franke side-by-side instinct uh, a few years ago um, because I'm training dogs. And then also um, I shoot birds for, uh, you know, dog competition. So, you know, NAVDA requires you have a break-open gun. And so um, I use that, and I shoot really well with that. It's, again, a gun that I pulled out of a box, and it fit me. What gauge uh, What gauge is that? Everything I'm shooting is 20-gauge. Nice, mm. nice. Yeah, I, then, I, I've often I, said it's been easier when we were more in person before COVID, but any time a bird hunter would talk to me, I just, this is maybe a little of an older thing. You just hold your fingers <laughs> up side by side or over under. And they would tell you which one they are, but there, there's a lot of semi-autos and um, and uh, pumps out there, and you know different variations. But what, I, well, what else were you going to say, Bridget, before Kevin interrupted you? Oh, uh, yeah, I recently bought myself a, a new Benelli Montefeltro uh, ultralight that I've been hunting with this year, and oh, um, sweet. <laughs> that is for me I, again. I I didn't buy it because of the name or any of that. It 
for as a woman, you know, you go out to buy a gun and it sometimes it's hard to buy guns because they're just not fit for you. And um, I I'm not into buying custom guns. I like being able to go pick one up that is in a box on the shelf. It fits. And I was fortunate enough to get to shoot a Montefeltro ultralight before I bought it and uh, realized what a good fit it was and, and went and bought one. It just made sense. Now, those are ultralight. I mean, is that like around five pounds? Is that what we're talking? Yeah. Like- I don't know what the exact weight is, but I'll tell you, it's significantly less than my over and under and my... Um, yeah, my that's huge after walking around, especially in your well, terrain. I mean, Where I really noticed it was when I traveled to Idaho this year to go chucker and uh, Hungarian partridge hunting, and I'm hiking up the mountains feeling a little out of shape. At least I wasn't lugging 10 pounds of yeah. what, uh, fuel with me. Yep. Yeah, I, I wanna, we're sitting here in studio. One of my guns is on the shelf behind us. It's an old uh, Spanish-made side-by-side. That thing's pretty heavy. I lifted that up a while ago. It's about seven and a half pounds. You know, it's I think an, it's a little bit more than that. Yeah, it's an old gun. And uh, I got to tell you, I, I switched over, made some switches myself the last five years, and I got to tell you, a lighter gun, even for these ultralight guns are amazing. For a big guy like me, it makes a huge difference, even. And they don't you know? kick as bad as I mean, just as bad as the other ones, or not as bad, I should say. Yeah, you, well, you would think an ultralight would. You have personal experience with that, yeah, side that, by side. that one kicks. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> that thing will knock you back, yeah. even when you're big. But, but well, cool, cool. Anything? What was about my journey with guns? Um, my best friend and I, when we got into. Uh, you know, we had these bird dogs, but we didn't have shotguns. So we went to a gun show and we bought a couple of Remington 870s. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the good old-fashioned gun. Well, we realized they didn't fit, and so we went to a custom gun fitter, and we had them try to fit them to us. So for me, they ended up cutting about two inches of the stock off. And it, that was a 20-gauge gun, but with that, by doing that, what they did was create a front-end heavy gun. Yeah, um, yeah messed up the balance. <laughs> Exactly. And it still didn't fit. So I didn't realize how important fit was until after hunting for two or three years with that gun and not being able to hit the broadside of a barn. And I almost gave up. I literally almost gave up hunting because I was just like, I cannot shoot anything with this gun. This is miserable. I, you know, do I go buy a new one? I don't know what to buy. All those questions that happens when you're not connecting with birds. And so, um, Actually, I walked into a store called Sportsman's Warehouse, and it was in Reno, Nevada at the time. And um, there was a gentleman behind the counter who had been uh, historically a a shooting instructor slash gun fitter. And he told me to close my eyes. And he pulled probably, oh, 30 different shotguns off the shelf for me. And he every time I closed my eyes, he'd put a gun in my hand and he'd say, now pull the gun up. And then I'd open up my eyes and I'd have the gun on my shoulder and he'd say, nope, not that one. And he'd take it back. (laughs) And he wouldn't let me look at brand or model. And what ended up happening is the brown and gold fusion fit perfectly. And he kept saying, that's your gun. That's your gun. And I had friends that were trying to help me. You need this. You need that with their brands that they're favoring and all that. So I buy the brown and gold fusion and out the door I go. And the day after Christmas, I pulled it out of the box and put it together and jumped in the truck with my two dogs and went up and went hunting at a spot with a couple of those friends. And um, I ended up getting into the birds and my <laughs> my shooting was startlingly good at the first couple shots. I said, I, I just killed two birds. 
And I went, huh, interesting. Well, I finished my limit, which is in Nevada, six pack of chucker is your limit. And I shot seven shells. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. So that's where I really became a fan of it's all about the fit. And, you know, particularly if you have, you know, a left eye dominance, uh, fit is a big issue um, because you're now relying on your left. You're looking through your left eye to see what's going on. And so you're going to favor that, which can throw you off. And then you've got, if you have a poor fitting gun, then that's going to throw you off. And so, um, you know, a lot of women who ask me about guns, I always say it's about the fit. Don't look at brands. Don't look at what people want you to buy. You need to find what fits you. Um, and I, it, it's tried and true. It, it really it works that way. Nice. Nice. Well, Bridget, we've loved having you on. Is there anything else you'd like to convey to us? You've been a great guest. Oh, well, thank you so much for in, in letting me on here. And it was just fun. And, uh, yeah, keep having fun and getting after those birds up there in Michigan and uh, hope to see you in Montana. Oh, yeah. If we get out that way, we'll definitely yeah, keep you Yeah, that sounds like there. something uh, beginning in September we should head out there yeah, maybe. Yeah, when, we, when we're not able to hunt, that'd be a nice trip. Yeah. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah, you can get a sage grouse and... Yeah, uh, really I'd uh, love, love to get a sage grouse. Yeah, my brother really wants a sage grouse, but we uh, we we've stayed a lot in Michigan, almost primarily in Michigan. But we're starting to venture out a little further because of this type of conversation, Bridget, and people's just overly goodwill to come on and talk to us and share their experience with other people. But we appreciate you having on Bird Camp, and uh, good luck and good luck training that new pop too. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, thanks, Bridget. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, welcome to this week's episode of Bird Camp. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. We've got two feet of snow and it's cold, but yep, not going to be a lot of bird hunting right now. Probably about six months away from opening day in Michigan. Yeah, about six. Roughly. A long way. Seven. Is that right? Seven? Yeah, six and a half months. For those of you in YouTube world, welcome to our virtual studio. Mm-hmm. This is our longtime guest. Yeah, he hung around our bird camp a little too long, I think. Yeah. That's Howie. That's Howard. Howard. Howard the hunter. Howard the hunter. And that, then, that's what happens to old grouse hunters, guys, right there. I mean, look how close I am to that. You know, that's what's going to happen to us. That's right. We'll be swapping some stuff out, so keep your attention Is, is on this that. the point with Howie where you say, you'll only get my guns if you... Pull him out of my cold, dead hands. That's right. <laughs> He's got his hand right on the gun, right? You got to go that way, don't you? <laughs> and then uh, we're going to talk about a little bit about our uh, contest to win the uh, Onyx Elite subscription. It's a $99 value that Onyx has partnered with us or shared with us to uh, attract some more partners or listeners. Um, we have one we're going to read right now. Not necessarily the winner, but could be. Could be. Could be. And, and, I know other people have sent them in. We've got quite a few. Yeah. And uh, we just had uh, Bridget on, and she gave a great story, too. Right. But uh, realize that everybody who participates doesn't necessarily win. But so, but we have gotten coming in. So if we didn't read yours this time, it will come. 
next time or the time after on the future podcast. So you want to read this one? or Yeah, go ahead. This one's from Corey Randall, and we just had about a two-minute conversation, whether it was Randall, Corey, or Corey Randall. I'm pretty sure it's Corey Randall. I think it's Corey Randall. If we're wrong, please correct us, Corey. Um, you can show up and punch him right in the gut. Yeah, yeah. That, I, I, I still think if there's a fight between me and a girl with a eight-year-old girl with a wiffle ball bat, take the wiffle ball back because she's going to beat me. So... But Corey sent in a great story, and there were several things in here. I thought it was well-written and well-versed, and I want to go through it. And forgive my voice, I'm struggling a little bit today with a cold. So Corey says, in my family, shotguns and fall mornings went together like pancakes and sausage. Well, our group would say bacon, but it's all the same. Sausage, good. Some years ago, I took my boys, Liam and Cole, to a Pheasants Forever youth hunt in central Indiana. The boys shot clays and learned not only about pheasant hunting, but the hunting tradition. The day capped off with each of my sons going to the field with a guide, a dog, and a dog handler after two planet birds. I watched from the clubhouse as the events unfolded. What an exciting thing. My oldest son was hunting with my grandfather's 12-gauge ranger. When my dad passed, I was pleased to receive this ranger. I had long admired the gun, the history, and the beauty. The history of this gun is quite a story. When my grandfather was 12 years old, he sold a prize 4-H hog so he could purchase the ranger from Sears. Roebuck and Company, he ordered from the local catalog store. Shortly after receiving the gun, he came down with the mumps and was in bed for quite a while, but he put the good time to good use. Grandpa hand-checkered the stock and forearm slide, inlaid a maple checkerboard pattern in the stock, added some maple inlays on the bottom of the stock, and as a final touch, impressed two copper insignia, one with his name and the other with his hometown on each side of the stock. I got some great pictures from that day, and then I shared the story about the gun to the boys. That ranger is over 100 years old wow. and has been used in the field for nearly 10 decades. My boys never met my grandfather and never hunted with my dad, but I think we will pass down the traditions and the shotguns. There's a connection that is hard to doubt. Corey, that is a That's wonderful story. Awesome gun story. That is a great, not only yeah, a gun story, but about the tradition from generation to generation. Yep. Um, we, we didn't really get to experience that. Our, our father was not a bird hunter and deer hunter. but yep. And honestly, our family businesses we didn't leave a lot of time to hunt. No, that was uh, uh, late harvest time. Yeah, that was that was <laughs> harvest time. This boy was working 10 hours a day and going to school. But well, That's a great story, and it's about a gun. It's a great gun. story. It's that a, leads us into yeah. a new segment we're going to start that actually one of our listeners kind of brought it up, and then I thought about it, brought it up to Kevin, and he's like, yeah, it's a good idea. Let's do that. So we're going to talk... Not every podcast, but maybe, I don't know. We haven't figured it out yet. Maybe once a month, once every other month. But we're going to highlight a make and model a gun. It could be one of ours. could be one of yours. We'll go through our our own hunting party, Yeah, course, would it, would it be a great thing if we had Corey's gun right now? Oh, that would be sweet. Corey, and we're not asking because that is a treasured family. Yeah, heirloom. maybe send us a photo, though. Yeah, yeah, and that's, Corey, send us a photo because we'll put it right on the social media. But can you uh, play Vanna White? You know, I don't think Howie's going to Howard's going to All right, hopefully I don't knock lot. everything down here. It's loaded, right? Uh, no. Go ahead. You, you can handle it while I'm talking if you wish, please. Okay. This gun... Um, I've had for about 25 or 30 years. It's not 100 years old like Corey's grandfather's gun, but this is a Ugarda Ugardachea is a, a Spanish gun maker in the Baroque sense up in northern Spain, which they actually survived the Spanish Civil War and World War II and just make... Um, Come on over here. 
Hmm? Go ahead. And uh, this gun is a 12-gauge. It's called a grade one. It's double-triggered. It's double-triggered. It is the traditional straight English stock. There is there is no um, handhold down here on what I used to call yeah. a heel, I think. There's so a, it's got the straight. It's a straight English stock. There is no bump pad on that at all on the end, which uh, you learn when you shoot this gun and get into a lot of birds or maybe trap shoot with it, you, you find out very quickly it has no bump pad. It is... Of course, single dot sight, single dot sight, double trigger. Like I said, it's what they call a grade one. It's a twelve, um, and then button. push button safety for that. Push thumb. button safety. Yep, and it's fixed chokes. Obviously, um, this is what a lot of purists would call a pure a pure grouse gun. Um, some people will say twenty gauge is more pure, but this is a pure grouse gun. There is a little backstory to this. We've had on, and you've heard us talk about Dr. Tom, kind of the paternal caretaker of our hunting group, um, the father figure. Another Dr. Tom, not this one, another one, actually sold me this gun about 30 years ago. We worked together and we're offices side by side. He was a veterinarian as well, like Dr. Tom. He's a vet, but not a vet. Yeah, he's a vet, but not a vet. But um, Dr. Tom Yonkers actually encouraged me. We talked all the time about hunting at work when we were supposed to be working, and he encouraged me to look at this gun. Uh, Dr. Tom Yonkers passed away about 20 years ago, but he was about five foot four, great hunter. In fact, I think he punched everything on the worldwide big game ticket, if I remember right. But he, the gun wasn't built for him. He's very short armed, and uh, he says, "I got somebody because this is yeah, this is set up for somebody like our size. You know, yeah. we're both six two six three. So yeah, it's set up for that. The other thing is that most peers and most gun knows that stock is cocked to a right handed. A left hander would not shoot this gun accurately. No. It is cocked to a right hander. And if you turn it and look at it, Matt, you can see the cock in it. Yep. And uh, maybe you can show the listeners. Here. So it's cocked to a right-hander. It's not it's an ambidextrous gun. Um, I am contemplating. I do not hunt with this gun much anymore. It's still in, I would call, call it good to excellent condition. It's really good condition. It's got a few bumps and scrapes, but I hunt it with it for 20 years. Walnut, then? It's walnut, yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, and what's the name of it again? Uh, Ugarta Chea. U-G-A-R-T-E-C-H-E-A. And where, what country of origin? Spanish. Spanish. Did There's, you say this already? Yeah, Spanish, Spanish made. Um, the one thing I'm considering, and this may be for a future, I, I have put up, I have also, I often joked, although I'd never do it, if I put a notch on for each bird, this gun would be full of notches. I, I've so you've t- taken a lot of birds with this. Over 100, including pheasant hunts, which some of those were corporate placing hunts, so... There were days where there, I got yeah, yeah, 12, yeah. but um, I, uh, I've i kept it in great shape in honoring of Dr. Yonkers, and I only hunt with it. I didn't hunt with it all this year because every day we hunt it, we were in the snow and rain. It, she only comes out in the group that we hunt with, we call her grandma, and she grandma comes out in the best of weather. And I'm actually, for the future podcast, I'm considering there's a engraver I'd like to have on of having a sharp tail on one side and a rough grouse on the yeah, other side. Yeah, there's no engraving like some of these older shotguns. No. Use a lot of engraving. This is free other than the walnut has the pattern in it. Right, the walnut has the checkering, the which, which is very smooth on one side now for me handling it. Have yeah. you noticed one side mm-hmm. smooth? But I, I would like to, and we're going to try and get this engraver on, um, who I haven't met yet, but if I had unlimited resources and time in the right engraver, I'd have a sharp tail on one side and a rough grouse on the other side, uh, just above 
not the Bachlocks. Um, Up in this area, yeah. Yeah. What's that? That's not the, the Bachlocks. It's a box lock. I don't know. There's two different types. You should so. do more research before having. Yeah, we really should. <laughs> I used to know all that stuff, but um, it's just that gun I want around. You know, as Corey mentioned, it's the gun you want around. I don't have a son to pass it to, so brother here will be the next heir of it. And the only thing I ask of you, brother, is uh, if I pass. What about the uh, doctor veterinarian? Does he have any? He didn't have any kids? Dr. Yonkers? Yeah. Oh, he passed away 20 no, years his, ago. No, he didn't have any kids? Yeah, he had sons. I'll huh? tell you about that off air because... Oh, they don't um, want the gun? You know who one of the sons is. Oh, okay. He, unfortunately, shortly after Dr. Tom died, uh, his son was a um, enforcement officer, a law officer, and he, he passed away, I believe. Oh, oh I know who you're talking about now. Okay. Yeah. Um, so... He he had so many guns that you know his his family got all taken care of, but he sold this to me. I, I didn't get it for free. Uh, okay. He just it fit. It didn't fit him at all. In fact, when I saw him handling it, it was not the right gun for him. Yeah, just like our last guest. Yeah, said, just like Bridget said. It's yeah, got to be the right fit. This gun is a pretty close fit for me. It, yep. It's not perfect, but it's pretty close. Um, and I've mentioned before, you know, you do your fingers when you're talking to a grouse hunter in person. I've, I was pretty much a side-by-side. -side. I started with an 870. Well, I started with a single shot, then an 870. This was my first real bird gun. And then now I've, let's see, I just gave you and your son an over-under I didn't want. And then uh, my other two are a pump and a semi-auto, which I never I thought was sacrilege and I'd never do. But I actually do shoot a hair bit better with both the Brownings. But Heresy! Heresy, heretic. So that's our, we'll call it Gun of the Month Club. I don't know. We'll call it. Yeah. In Ugarda Chea, last time I checked, they were still making guns. There's four grades. This is a grade one. Is that high or low? Low. Oh, okay. Um, when you get up into the grade twos and threes, they're all silvered out and they're all engraved and they're really so this sharp, is like sharp a, gun. This is a field gun. Field yeah, gun. Yeah, yeah. It's a true field gun. Um, when you get up to their grade four, that gets to a price where I don't know if I'd take it in the field. All right. It's a, I think what I'm going to do uh, next podcast, which I, we're doing another one next week, is uh, I think I'll bring in my original New Englander in. You're going to bring the Englander in? Yeah, I even have the box, I believe. Do we have to dress like English guys? That'd be cool. <laughs> I think I'm going to bring that pipes in. <laughs> I'm going to just go through my guns as, as I got them, I think. That's, that would yeah. be good. Yeah, well, that's kind of where I'm at. I got three bird hunting guns now. and uh, Yeah. My other two aren't special, you know. They're just out of the box. But well, I guess I guess the pump is a DU with all the trimmings on it, isn't it? Yeah, that's a pretty nice gun. We'll do works. that later after some years. Okay. Well, that's our new. Uh, like we said, we'll call it the uh, Gun of the Month Club. Gun of the Month. Gun Club. of the quarter. Gun of the month. And for those of us watching the video, we'll soon have our merchandise sitting up here. It's just we didn't grab all of it today. These are our sweatshirts. Yeah, here's our sweatshirts. T-shirts are the same. We got black coming, both sweatshirts and T-shirts. Got koozies. This is our uh, card stock we use for leaving on bulletin boards, but the sticker looks just like this without the writing on the back, and it can go in the back of your vehicle. Yeah. Uh, we both have one in the back of our vehicles. Yep. Dr. Tom will soon have one. He just requested one. Yep. And that's, that's about it about the guns. Yep. So that's it. And our contest... For the Onyx Map Elite subscription is going through, I believe it's Tuesday, basically midnight, because we're doing another recording Wednesday. So I think that's the 23rd? Yes. And that's, the 23rd. That's our first drawing for the first winter. Yeah, we are going to do a couple of these throughout the yeah. year. 
so this will be the first one. But get your stories in. If you don't win, we'll probably still read them on the air unless you don't want us to. Right. And um, we would encourage you. They started really coming in. And yeah. uh, w- right now we think we can cover all of them. It may take a few months, but um, the, there's it's just great. Part of what I like, as you can see with the books and everything, I like the stories. And uh, I love hearing other people's stories. I mean, Bridget's story about her dog passing and then getting the rookie dogs into a new bird on the next day, that, that was kind of touching to be honest yeah that was great How, if, howard started tearing up back here yeah so. what tear ducts he has left yeah <laughs> old grouse hunter howard so thanks for joining us on youtube and if you want to hear bridget's story go ahead and listen to our podcast okay we're okay. out we're out <laughs> thanks for listening to our podcast if you'd like to enter the knife contest Check it out at Patreon forward slash BirdCamp. Leave us some feedback, which we would appreciate. Our email is mi.birdcamp at gmail.com. Check us out on our social media platforms. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for BirdCamp. Our website is www.birdcamp.net. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next show. See ya.